Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, um, last week I want to, I want to, uh, I want to clarify. I, I have nothing against Campus Crusade for Christ. I want you to know that. I received some emails, and some people were saying that they were very dissatisfied. My point wasn't to belittle any organization. My my point was to to emphasize the importance that we ought to have as a body of believers to the name of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can accomplish. Listen, apart from him we can do nothing. And so to try to finagle and move our way into anything by, by denying the name of Christ is so wrong. And it is kind of the, it's the mindset of, of what, what our society and our world is becoming becoming a bunch of people that have just kind of kind of tried to push Christ into a little bit of a, a corner so as not to offend anyone. And we can't do that. We just cannot do that. As we study through this, the, the, the book of Revelation, we came upon these seven churches. Five of them were just doing things incorrectly to the max. Two of them were doing okay. One of them, Philadelphia, God says, I know your deeds. I, I know I can see what you're doing. He says, and I've opened a door for you and no one can shut. He says, and you have, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. That's, I want our church to be like that. I want us to be like the church of Philadelphia. I'd, listen, if we don't ever accomplish anything and we keep the name, we, we keep the name of Christ pure, that's everything. That, that's what I was trying to imply last week. Well, we've come to, if you turn with me in your Bibles, to two places. First, the book of, of the very first book in the Bible is Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 7. I want to show you how this is an amazing place in the Word of God. It really shows, it shows the purpose that you and I have for living. Number one, God said long ago to a man called Abram, A-B-R-A-M. He named, later changed his name to Abraham. He said to Abram, I want you to go. And he says, I want you to create a nation. Now, what he is going to do is start the nation of Israel. So, in Genesis chapter 12, relates purely, I think, to where we are in, in Revelation chapter 7. Let me show you why, and let me try to explain how in the remaining half hour. Look, in Genesis chapter 12, I asked you to turn there and I didn't, but I have it marked, so I'll find it real quickly. The Lord said to Abram in verse 1, I want you to go forth from your country. I want you to go forth from your relatives. I want you to go forth from your father's house. I'm kind of adding words here, kind of put an emphasis upon it. It's kind of the way I read it when I'm at home. And he says, I want you to go to the land which I will show you. Then he says in verse 2, Then I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. Then he says in verse 3, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and the person or the one or the, the people who curse you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Abram went... But I want you to know the nation of Israel failed, failed in that mission miserably. 
they became very secluded. They became to where they didn't even want to reach out to the, the Gentile people. They end up calling them dogs. They had nothing to do with them. Instead of going out into all the nation and telling all the nation about their God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Messiah that would come through their line, that would give all who would trust and believe in Him salvation, they became secluded, they became uh, inclusive, just them and no more. In fact, if you, if you recall, in the book of Acts, you can turn now to the book of Revelation, but in the book of Acts, the Lord had a, a sheet fall down before Peter. Do you remember any of this? It's in Acts chapter 10. You might want to read it sometime. It's really very interesting. And so the Lord said, eat. You know, and, 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 and Peter said to him, no, Lord, I've never eaten any of this food. It's unclean. And the Lord said to Peter, what I call clean shall be clean. This is all good now. You can eat. Later in that chapter, Peter went to a Gentile's home, wouldn't go into his home, and Peter understood what the Lord was teaching him through the animals and realized that he was to go into Cornelius' home and present to Cornelius the gospel. And Peter uttered these words, I now know that no man is unclean. What God has cleansed, let it, let it all be cleansed. That's a very poor rendering of what took place there. And so there was a, a hindrance to the, the people of Israel to get the message of Jesus Christ and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out into the world. Well, here in Revelation chapter 7, we have a very interesting scenario take place. Didn't mention it last week. Want to talk about it to you now. We are in the very, the very guts, if you will, of the Great Tribulation. It is my contention, and I'm going to show you again today, I will mention it again today, I don't think I'll show you, but that the church is with our Lord in heaven. We, the church of Jesus Christ, will not go through the great tribulation, I believe. Now, I could be wrong, so I, I just tell you that's my contention, that's my belief. But what is going to happen on earth to those who remain is, is tremendous. Have you ever been concerned? Let's say, for instance, we're right. Let's say, for instance, that the, the church is going to be raptured and we're going to be taken up into heaven. What happens to those on this earth? Have you ever concerned yourself with them? I have. I, I thought, geez, if, if I go, Lord, what about my family? What about my friends, loved ones that, that I've been sharing with that have not yet accepted you? And he answers the question here in chapter 7. In the midst of this great and terrible tribulation period, it's like the Lord stops everything to fulfill His purpose on this earth, which He started way back with Abram in Genesis chapter 12, which should have been fulfilled through the Jewish people and everyone else that followed after them and believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Messiah that came through their line, and that all of us would go and tell our loved ones of this coming, this, this Christ that we have believed and trusted in. Well, he stops here, and he calls out 144, as we saw last week, 144,000 Jewish men who were bonded, sealed by him to evangelize the world. Look, 
Look at verse 9 in Revelation chapter 7 and, and listen to what John writes. After these things. Now this is very interesting because John starts chapter 7 by saying after this. After this means after the sixth seal had fallen upon this earth and there was a great doom upon the earth. After this, John said there is a pause in heaven itself. But in chapter, verse 9 of chapter 7, after these things, in other words, after the Lord names all of these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, were now standing before the throne of God. That is a tremendous statement from the Word of God. That myriads... So many that John could not even hardly count how many were now standing before the throne of God who came there through the great tribulation period, which ought to give you and me great hope for our loved ones. But it also ought to give us a purpose for why we are alive right now. And that's kind of the very, the very essence of this message. Why do you and I draw breath? Why do we come to church? What is the purpose of all of this that we do? And why do we study the Bible and not just have some, you know, just some social Bible, social words, some how to deal with, with troubles and whatever, and, and not study this, the very essence of what we are supposed to study, the Word of God. Today I think you're going to see a little insight to it all. Okay, we're in now the seventh chapter. John's vision of the seven seals is now interrupted. And why? Let's read. It is, this is, this is such an incredible place in the Word of God. After this, after, remember in chapter 6, when, when in verse 12 in chapter 6, when, when John looked and, and he saw that the sixth seal had been broken and there was a great earthquake. And we're in verse 12 of chapter 6. And the sun became black and the moon was like blood. And then in verse 13 it says the stars of the skies fell to the earth. Verse 14 said the sky was split apart like a scroll. Every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And then we saw in verses 15 and 16, the, the kings of the earth, the commanders, strong men, rich men, poor men, slaves, free, all of them hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain. And then in verse 16, they cried out and said to the mountain, and they said to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. So John writes now in verse 7, after this... Verse 1 of chapter 7. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Then John says in verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And he said, verse 3, Do not harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And then he heard who was being sealed. Let's take a look. Verses 4 through 8. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. 
from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, uh, no, yeah, Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the, from the tribe of Ishakar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Let's pray. Dear God, why? Let's find this out, Father. Can we, can we make um, a discovery today from your word? Why? Why? Why these people? Why this time? And also, what does that mean to us. What does it mean to those of us who are a part of your church, who are now here still on this earth, what's our purpose? Have we been called out? Have we been asked? What? What is it that you want from us? Dear Father, please, use this pause that's happening here in the in the seventh chapter, this great tribulation, this 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 occurring on the earth. And hopefully we will not be a part of that. Hopefully, Father, we'll be with you in heaven. But, but for those that are left behind, say it's this week. Say we go now. What about our loved ones? Teach us what's going to happen, Father, and teach us how we can have a part. I, I pray that you would bless this time. Father, as it says in Scripture, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And then, Father, would you do us the greatest privilege possible, and that is move me aside. I mean, Father, let, let not my frailty as a human being get in the way of what you want to say to each and every one of us here today. And so move me aside, Father, please. I, I've studied hard, but, and Father, I pray that what I've studied was, is what you exactly would want from us. But also, Father, would you take anything that I might say that might be might be harmful or wrong or, or, or incorrect, would you move that aside? And would you just speak to us through your heart to ours? I pray this, Father. I pray this more than, than anything else I can think of. I just want you to be heard every week. And so, Father, please bless us. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Um, John's vision of the seven seals uh, is interrupted. Um, the seventh seal will now not appear until chapter 8. The seventh seal will then open up the, the bowl and the uh, trumpet uh, judgments, which are, as I told you, going through the book of Revelation, it's a bumpy ride. It's very difficult, and it's going to get worse. Uh, the bowl judgment, the trumpet ju judgments, they're going to be even worse than the seal judgments. And so there's a pause here, and, and there's a reason for it. The, the pause is that, that, that we can see that God's saving grace never, ever fails. Jesus Christ remains faithful to his promise even in the midst of this great and terrible tribulation period. He is now going to send 144,000 Jewish Israelite men sealed to evangelize the world for the name of Jesus Christ. And God finds the time to save literally thousands upon thousands from every corner of the earth. As it said in verse 9, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every tongue. There's not 
anyone that, that is not going to hear the message, and there's not going to be anyone that doesn't have the opportunity to come. But you need to know this. Reason for us to come now. If you're not a believer now, don't wait. Because to come to Christ during the tribulation period is going to be a time that you will be martyred. There will, it will be very, very difficult and painful to be a Christian in those days. But that God will preserve his people is a familiar theme throughout all of Scripture. King David wrote, and in fact, these are the places I'm going to go through. I'm not going to linger in, in each of the verses too long. I'll kind of turn to it and read and, and we'll go on because this is a message I want to hear. I want you to hear everything. And so if you want to take a look at the, the cross references, you can. Write them down and look at them later. But King David says in Psalms 34, 17, 18, and 19, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. In the flood, our Lord saved Noah, and his family, and anyone else that wanted to get on the ark, by the way. At Sodom and Gomorrah, he saved and pulled Lot and his family out. In Jericho, he, he took the, the harlot Rahab and her household and, and saved them. And out of Egypt, when he told the, all of Israel and anyone else that would, would listen to, to get an animal, an, a, 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 a lamb or some sort of an animal, and sacrifice that animal, and take the blood of that animal, and put it on the doorposts of their home. And then the death angel would what? Would pass over their home, and not take their firstborn. And out of the nation of Egypt, he saved the nation of Israel, at least those who believed him, so as to put blood on their doorposts. God always preserves his people. He's... He's done it throughout Scripture. These martyred people who, who come, as we saw in chapter 6 and verse 9, who are, are, are martyrs and are at the altar of God there in heaven itself, they are not a result of God's wrath. You need to understand that. They are there just as any believer who would die and go to be with our Lord in heaven. But the persecution of believers during the Great Tribulation is the, the means by which God ushers His children into His presence, which again is reason that we best come and trust and believe in Him now, not later. Also at the end of the tribulation, which we will study further along in this great book, the book of Revelation, at the end of the tribulation, those who are converted to believe in Christ and who have survived will populate the earth, earth in what is called the millennial kingdom. We'll study that later on. But all believers who are alive at the second coming of Christ will move into this millennium kingdom, thousand year reign. And what will happen at the end of this reign, you will not believe. You'll find it hard to believe. If you haven't studied and don't know, you will be awestruck by what happens at the end of that time. Enough for that later. Let's take a look at what we have to take a look at today. In the sixth chapter, we saw the opening of the six seals. The first four seals brought in the, first, the four horsemen, the 
horseman, uh, horse uh, on the white horse that brought in temporary uh, false peace, and then a horse, uh, uh, horseman on a red horse that brought in death, and a black horse that brought in famine, and then an ashen horse that that, that just obliviated the earth, it brought a, a third of it all fell. It was just terrible. The fifth seal, we saw martyrs in the sixth chapter. In the sixth seal, we were introduced to what's going to happen to a godless world during the Great Tribulation. And so John says in, in chapter 7 and verse 1, after this, the use of those words, after this, signifies that the vision of the six seals has now ended. And John is about to see and explain to us a new vision. And the new vision is this, verse 1. Four angels now are standing at the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. They are holding firmly the four winds of the earth, it says, so that no wind might blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor at any tree. This wind would most likely be the wind of judgment that has come upon this earth. It is now stopped for a moment. And the scene now shifts from God's judgment upon the ungodly to God's special protection to those who wish to trust in Him. These four angels are given power over the elements of nature. As it says in verse 1, they, they were standing at the four corners of the earth and they were holding back the winds of the earth. The winds of judgment are now being held back and nothing can move until God accomplishes His purpose. Question, what's His purpose? Do you know the purpose of God? You need to know the purpose of God to understand your purpose on this earth. There's been a number of places that talks of it. I, I, I just pulled out one. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to this and you're going to sense the very purpose of God, the promises of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about His promise or His purpose, as some might count slowness. But rather, the Lord is patient towards you. Here's His purpose. So that no one would perish, but that all of us might come to repentance. That's the issue of, of life. Your, your part in it all is to come to salvation. To to come and, and not perish, but ask Christ into your heart. That's, that's yours and my part. That's our part. The church's part, why you come to church, is so that you and I might grow in our faith, so that we might understand what it is that God wants of us, so that we can start to... This is why we, we in church we're not supposed to dilly-dally with, with other things. We're supposed to study the Word of God. So that it moves your heart, moves you into a place that you understand what it is that God has asked of you and so that you might fulfill God's purpose for your life. You need to understand that. And, and the best way of knowing it is by studying the Word of God. Coming to know Christ and then growing in your walk with Him. And so John writes in, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, and he had a seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Don't do it. Don't harm the earth. Don't harm the sea. Don't harm the trees. Until. Key word in that verse, verse 3. 
until we've sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. This could, this could be a prophecy out of a few places in the Old Testament. One in particular is Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 through 6. The Lord said to Ezekiel, Go to the midst of the city, to the midst of Jerusalem, he said, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and who groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. It says, Don't touch any person whose whose forehead is marked. So, in Ezekiel, those who God places His mark on them were spared of the coming disaster, just as here in Revelation chapter 7 and forward, these bond servants of God, these 144,000 Jewish men, whom the, the angel is going to mark on their forehead with God's seal, they will be protected from and preserved through all the judgments that are yet to come upon the earth during the great tribulation, and they will be protected from Satan and his co-workers. They can't touch him. Look what it says in chapter 9. We're going to see more about these guys. Look at chapter 9 and verse 4. It says, They were told not to hurt the grass, nor the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. They could only harm the men, note, who do not have, note, do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So obviously, God is going to protect these 144,000 evangelists who are on this earth to search for those who will trust and believe in Jesus Christ, and there will be myriads. That's good. No, that's fantastic news. That people will come in groves during the tribulation period. They will come to trust and believe in Christ. So there will be hope for our loved ones if we were to go, say this week, unto the Lord up in heaven. Note that these 144,000 men were called bondservants of God. That indicates that they are already been saved. They're already redeemed believers. And they have remained faithful to the Lord. Now, perhaps, this is just me thinking out loud with you. Perhaps these are 144,000 Jewish men who have been faithfully preaching in the midst of this chaotic time during the Great Tribulation, during the first six seals. And at this point, God says, stop everything. I'm going to seal and protect them so they can continue to proclaim my word and the truth about my son during the most severe times that lie ahead of them. The bowl and the trumpet judgments that are to come. You want to see of their character? You know, there's, there's often times that I'd love to be certain places in the Bible that I would like to be these people. Like, I would have loved to have been the two guys on the road to, to Emmaus. I would love to have heard the Lord explain Himself to them as they went down that road. I would love to be one of these 144,000 Jewish men. L listen to the character of these men. Look at chapter 14, please, in, in Revelation. I told you, it's going to talk about these guys a lot. Because they're going to have a great impact upon this earth. It tells of their character. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it says, John says, I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000, those that have his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. In verse 2, 
John writes, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice which I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. By the way, elders, in the book of Revelation until the 19th chapter, there is no mention of the church anymore. What is mentioned of believers is those who are in heaven and, and, and we are called elders. In heaven, the believers have this name, elders, who are with the Lord there. So I believe that's us. And, and wouldn't you want to hear this 144,000 strong choir saying, I do. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. And these are the ones who have not been defiled with women. They have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These are the ones who have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Wow. And they are from, as you turn back, please, to chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. They are from the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, there is a rub about these twelve tribes the Lord names them and He seals them on their foreheads. Now what do we know? We do know this. In 70 A.D., Rome came and just stormed Jerusalem. It tore down the, the temple. Just as Jesus proclaimed it would. There would not be one stone laying upon another. And when they did that, all the tribal records of Israel was lost. There is no Jew today that can say without question that they are of this tribe. They don't know for certain because all the records were lost. But today God knows. God knows exactly what, who belongs to what tribe. And He comes and He names and He chooses 12,000 from each tribe. And there's not a Gentile among them. The specific tribal names of the list are raised some very interesting questions, though. First, it should be noted, there's, there is no real standard way of listing the twelve tribes. There are at least 19 different ways of listing these twelve tribes in the Old Testament, and none agree with the list that is given here. In the Old Testament, there, let me just share with you some of the lists. There is the order of birth. That's in Genesis chapter 29 to Genesis chapter 35. There's also the order of Jacob's blessings of uh, the twelve tribes in Genesis chapter 49. There is the order of encampment in Numbers chapter 2. There is the order of the census that was taken before the invasion of Canaan, which is in Numbers chapter 26. There is also the order of the twelve tribes uh, according to the blessing and cursings in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And there's the, or the order of Moses' blessing in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Then there's the order of the princes in Numbers chapter 1. There's the order of the inheritance that is in Joshua chapter 13 to Joshua chapter 22. Then there's the order by the wives and their concubines in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 through 1 Chronicles chapter 8. And there's the order of the gates of the city in Ezekiel chapter 48. I just mentioned that to mention just a few. Now, none of that rings my bell. None of that when I study is something that I want to really get to know. Because I figure God knows. I don't need to know. You'll note that 
that Reuben was the firstborn, but Judah, here in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 5, is the first one that is listed. But we know that Reuben, out of 1 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 1, lost his birthright as punishment for his sexual misconduct with his father's concubine. In 1 Chronicles 5, 1, it says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to his son of Joseph. So for you who are students of the Word of God, you want to note that there are two tribes of Israel's past that are not even mentioned in these twelve. Ephraim and Dan, they're not even mentioned in the tribes that our Lord pulls out here in Revelation chapter 7. In their place is Manasseh, and in the place of, of Dan is Joseph. In the omission of the tribe Dan is, is, is also mentioned through Levi, which is quite unusual because it was the high priestly tribe. Dan was omitted because of his desire for idolatry. Shameful. Similarly, Ephraim was omitted in favor of his father Joseph because Ephraim defected from ruling, the ruling house of Judah. They both were, Ephraim and Dan, were consumed with idolatry. And so Manasseh and Levi took their places. What does this prove? Uh, listen, here's what it proves. And this is where this rings my bell. This proves that what our Lord teaches in, in the book of Romans from chapter 9 to chapter 11 is true beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that is this critical um, biblical truth is this, that God is not through with the nation Israel yet. He will use them. Just as he says and promised he would, he is going to use these 144,000 Jewish men to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ to, through the most terrible of times, the great and terrible tribulation. Now, although Israel failed miserably in its mission to be a witness and a blessing to the world, as it mentioned that they should have been in Genesis, that we read first, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, God is still going to use them, and they are not going to fail in this mission. They are not going to fail in this responsibility. As we have already been told, John writes proudly, he says that there, there was a number in verse 9 so great that no one could count. These men are going to, just cover the earth from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every tongue with the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest of times. Therefore, therefore, why, why this interlude? Why this stoppage of this great tribulation and holding back the four winds so as to give a breather so that they could number these 144,000? is to make sure that these 144,000 evangelists are going to make it through the Great Tribulation and reach the world for Jesus Christ. And the Lord makes it clear that they're going to make it through. They'll save every single soul that our Lord has called out for His glory. Now, four more minutes. Why then are you and I alive today? What's our purpose? 
What are we to do with our lives? Is it sufficient that we're Christians? Is it sufficient that we have a ministry here at our church and it flourishes? Let me tell you what our Lord says your purpose is in mine. No, better than that. You can, hold, you can close your place here in Revelation chapter 7. We'll come back next week. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, please? Matthew chapter 28. We'll just close with this. Jesus Christ was about to go and to be with the Lord, uh, with the Father in heaven. He's about to be carried up into heaven itself. And it says in, in Matthew chapter 28, he came up and spoke in verse 18 to them. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he tells us the purpose for them and for us in verses 19 and 20. He says, go. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, then I want you to, in verse 20, to teach them to observe all that I command you. Lo, he says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Folks, I want you to know that's the purpose we have in life. Our purpose is to present Jesus Christ to everybody and anyone that we can so that by the grace of God they might come to trust and believe in Him. That's their purpose. That's your purpose. That's what should happen to them. Once they come to trust and believe in Him, then we should bring them to church and we should then teach them all the things that our Lord God has commanded us. We learned out of Acts that the, 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 the apostles never changed the whole issue of church. They, they presented the, the gospel and they, they wanted to have fellowship with one another, prayer, communion, and, and all of that. But mostly they were to hold to the teaching of the apostles, which is what we try to do. And so the responsibility is for you to come to Christ. Then your responsibility is to come to church and we to teach, teach, so that you might observe all the things that we have been commanded. And once you become learned, and once you become uh, mature in what you understand and believe, and, and you understand what your spiritual gift is, then you're to serve the Lord in that capacity. And so your job and my job is now, during this, the church age, we're to go and tell people about Christ. We're to prepare their hearts so that if we get raptured, if we get out of here, they will have some semblance of what they were to do. And when these 144,000 just spirit-filled, gosh, I, can't, I would love to see these guys come and share Christ with them, they're going to say, of course. My, my loved ones told me this. And they'll come to trust. Now when they come... They will be martyred. It's going to be a tough, tough road. That's why you need to come to Christ now. If you're waiting, don't wait. Don't. It's foolishness. Come now. Trust now. But your purpose is that. It's as clear as the nose on my face. That's clear. Anybody can see that. You're to come to Christ and then you are to lead others to Christ. And when you do, you are then to teach them what you have been commanded. 
And this is what we learn at this church. That's the process. So that's why there's this interlude in chapter 7. Isn't it phenomenal? Isn't it amazing that, that in the midst of this terrible of terrible times, our Lord stops everything so as to save myriads of people? Wow. I would love to have been one of those 144,000. What a thrill and privilege that would have been. Well, we have a thrill and a privilege right now. We can be uh, among the myriads of people who share our faith now with people and warn them. Let them see your life and my life in such a way that they might want to come to Christ. Father, there is no greater joy on earth than to see people come to believe in you and then to grow and walk with you and, and become a mature believer. Uh, I get it. I, I really get what, what was on the hearts of the the apostles of Paul and Peter and John, when they saw their, their, their loved ones who come to Christ grow and mature, I get it. There's nothing quite like it. The greatest joy of being in a church over a long period of time like I have is to get to know someone like Ashley and, and watch her grow and then become married and, and then get to meet her husband and know and love him and and watch two people just grow in their faith and their love. What a privilege, Father, you've given us to be a part of a church that can make an impact because we will not compromise. Like the Church of Philadelphia, Father, we will try with all of our hearts to keep, keep your word and not deny your name. It's in the very name of Jesus Christ, dear Father, that we come to you and we ask you bless us. And Father, I want to thank you for every person here whom I love deeply. Bless them all. In Jesus' name, bless them all. Amen. Love you all. I'll see you next week. It's going to be August. Can you believe it? Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> Have a great, great week, great day. I love you so, so much. God bless you all.